0: I want to thank all members. I know you've put in long days and we've had debate on important bills. It's been a helpful session, I think, to really illustrate the differences in the parties. We have seen in this session the Leader of the Opposition and the BCUP Party stand up and vote against literally every single housing affordability initiative that this government has brought forward. Thank
1: you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, after seven years of this NDP government, British Columbia is now recognized as the most unaffordable province in the entire country, highest housing and gas prices in North America, highest average rents in the entire country, grocery prices going through the roof, and a premier and government that celebrate the fact that they've more than doubled the carbon tax and are planning to triple it over the next six years.
2: The cost of living is soaring in this province and people are slipping closer and closer towards homelessness every day. More than 100,000 households in B.C. pay more than 50% of their income on rent and utilities. This is a crisis-level amount. We're
3: hearing a lot about affordability today, but the carbon tax is one of the pieces, I think, that strikes at the heart of many people. As we see from polling, the majority of people in this province wants to get rid of it. The carbon tax, when you're filling up a tank of gas of 60 litres, equates to about $16 when gas is at $2. Just to put that into perspective is what that means, for British Columbians that are going to Costco, that's the equivalent to buying two rotisserie chickens. Hundreds of thousands of British Columbians are struggling just to put food on the table. They're struggling with the difference between being able to afford food or gas.
4: I'm Peter McCulley. Welcome to the Today in BC legislature report. That was the atmosphere in the legislature on the last day of the fall sitting Wolfgang Deppner, legislative reporter for Black Press Media, joins us to summarize discussion in the House. Wolfgang has a long resume of multimedia reporting, as well as teaching. He holds a master's in journalism and a PhD in political science. Thanks for joining us, Wolfgang. I know the fall sitting of the legislature just wrapped up and it was a busy time for you.
3: Peter, uh, thank you for having me. And yes, it certainly was busy in many ways.
4: Adam Olson, the member for Saanich and the Islands, was feeling that busyness, and he rose in the House to make his feelings known about the amount of time afforded for debate on various issues of the day.
3: The provincial government passed four major pieces of housing legislation this session. While each piece of this quartet is significant by itself, they will in their totality likely reshape the relationship between all actors in the housing world. The provincial government, municipalities, private developers, not for profit organizations, and ultimately citizens. Broadly, the bills promise to increase the housing supply by increasing density, speed up development, and encourage the conversion of short term rentals into housing. Government was also busy in other areas dealing with housing. A fifth housing related bill promises to resolve various controversies around homeless camps with the proviso that government will still have to convince opponents of the bill before bringing it into force. Government also expanded the speculation and vacancy tax to 13 communities, mostly on Vancouver Island and the Okanagan. Passage of these laws was never really in doubt, given the NDP's sizable majority. But the comments from Olson speak to two questions that came up during the fall session. First, How much new housing will this legislation create? And the answer to that question is not entirely clear, and no one can really answer it. Bill 44, which increases density on lots currently zoned for single-family homes and duplexes, promises to create 130,000 new units within 10 years. Bill 47, which increases density around transit, promises to create 100,000 new units within 10 years. Figures attached to the other bills, especially the short-term rental bill, are less concrete. Now, these figures coexist with other government forecasts that actually show new housing starts going down in the future. But it's important to point out that those forecasts try to measure something entirely different. And both Housing Minister Ravi Kallon and Finance Minister Katrine Conroy say they are more optimistic than those forecasts. Naturally, the opposition parties are more skeptical in predicting that they won't make a difference at all. In fact, some voices have argued that these builds will have the opposite effect by cementing the advantages of homeownership and encouraging speculation, thereby making housing even more unaffordable, especially for younger generations without homeowning parents who can give their children a hand up. So depending on your perspective, the builds will increase the supply of housing, thereby reducing costs, do nothing or have unintended consequences. Olson comments also raise a second related question. What roles do MLAs play in the passage of legislation? In theory, they should have all the time in the world to scrutinize legislation and suggest improvements. All three opposition parties, however, say government did not give them enough time to properly review the various housing bills. This criticism was especially loud coming from the B.C. Greens, especially Olsen, who seemed to spend the last two weeks going toe-to-toe with Calon.
5: In this House, unlike others of our cousin houses across the Commonwealth, in this House there is a dangerous blurring of the separation between the legislative and the executive branches. At times it feels like we should just have the Premier's office move right on into this chamber and just make Does anybody know what the impact of the housing bills are in front of us? This house and the management of the time in this place should not be at the whim of the people that are bringing the legislation in and not even giving us the moments we need to be able to understand the legislation that's in front of us so that we can ask informed questions, so that we can critique it. The people of British Columbia need to understand how their democracy is being run right now because it's teetering and that is not an exaggeration.
3: To be fair, government extended the legislature's sitting hours to handle the whole raft of proposed bills, but for the opposition, these extensions confirmed that government could not manage its own time, and these complaints reached a crescendo when government limited the debate on these key bills, especially Bill 44, which is the multi-density so government found itself in the somewhat embarrassing situation of having to extend debate in the first place, then cut it off when the clock was starting to run out on the session. So for the opposition, the culprit was none other than Housing Minister Ravi Callon, who also serves as House leader responsible for marginaling the legislation. Callon, on the other hand, has pointed to the logistical complications of having three opposition parties and one independent member. And more broadly, the need to get something done on housing in justifying his management of the legislature. It is important to point out, I would say, that he will bring forward more housing legislation in the spring session of 2024. So we may go through this all over again in a few months. But Callan and Freeman Eby have promised improvements, but only time will tell whether we will actually see them.
4: Wolfgang, for months, the topic of discussion at just about every water cooler in British Columbia has been surrounding the cost of housing, the availability of rental housing, which on your previous two reports from the legislature has been front and center. The government was successful, as you say, in passing their housing legislation.
3: Yes, the issue around housing actually speaks to a larger issue, and that's the issue of affordability in BC. We're about to hear now from Kevin Falcon, who's the leader of BC United. Then we'll hear from Peter Millibar, who speaks on financial issues on behalf of BC United the finance minister katrine conroy then we'll also hear from the premier about the issues of affordability
1: thank you mr speaker mr speaker this premier and government specialized in making empty announcements that unfortunately yield terrible results in 7 years the ndp government has made over 500 announcements related to the housing crisis and yet where have we ended up after 7 years the most unaffordable housing not just in Canada but in North America and the highest average rents in the entire country. Now we find that the Ministry of Finance is forecasting a drop of 4,500 housing starts next year projected, while the average price of housing is projected to increase to nearly $1 million. So my question is to the Premier. When will the Premier actually deliver results on housing affordability instead of more empty announcements?
2: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Let's see. We have rising crime. We have the highest housing prices in Canadian history. We have the highest gas prices and gas taxes in Canada. We have ever climbing carbon taxation on homeowners. Uh, what am I missing? Oh, we have crashing health care crisis. Well, the list goes on and on, and this minister, to- oh, growing food bank list, and this minister is trying to make it sound like they're actually doing something to help British Columbians. That's ridiculous. Mr. Speaker, it's typical of this government. Point the finger somewhere else. The Bank of Canada must be at fault. Let's write a letter that has no cause or effect whatsoever on interest rates instead of actually taking direct action on our spending that the Scotiabank has made very clear would actually help with inflation and interest rates in British Columbia. We don't actually ever hear from the Finance Minister when it comes to her own reports and her own advisors advising her around what's going on in the economy in British Columbia. Again, top economists have called out the NDP for killing jobs with the COST BC scheme. Members. They're pointing the finger at them for their spending, causing inflationary pressures.
6: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And, and we do know that people in BC are facing challenges right now, and we have been talking about it in this House. We've been talking about it with people across the province, and that's why we are taking action to support people. We are supporting people with affordability measures because we know that's what people want to hear from us we know that that's the action people want us to take. We know people want homes and that's why we are bringing in homes for people in this province and we've heard that from people right across the province you know we've heard that people are looking for affordability measures. that's why we brought things in like meals and schools and snacks for kids in schools because we've heard from parents that's what we want. We've heard that people are wanting things such as uh, family benefit, the BC family benefit. We've actually increased it. We've increased it because we know that families need that support and we gave an extra $500 to single parent families because we know how difficult it can be. And we're going to keep supporting families. We're going to keep supporting people because we know that's what people want in this province, Mr. Speaker. They do not want us to say, oh my gosh, look at what's happening. We need to cut services because that's what they did and that's what hurt people in this province. We know, we know that people do not want to hear. Average British Columbians do not want to hear that we need to raise taxes. They do not want to hear that, but that's what they did on the other side of the house. And we will not be doing that.
7: Premier, are you looking for big and shiny affordability measures coming up in the budget and could one of those
0: measures be using carbon tax revenues to freeze hydro rates for British Columbians? I absolutely am looking for big affordability measures for British Columbians and I do want them to shine. I want British Columbians to know that we are delivering for them on affordability. And it's action we've taken, you know, in reducing ICBC rates, free birth control, getting rid of tolls on bridges, affordable housing initiatives that for some reason the opposition keeps voting against. People can expect that our budget will be focused on affordability, I've asked every single minister look at your file, find ways to deliver affordability for British Columbians. And hydro rates are an area where we've delivered affordability for British Columbians, lower than the rate of inflation. But hydro rates are one area where people are suffering. So absolutely, we're looking at that.
4: We're gonna squeeze in one more question. We're gonna to go to the phone lines with Katie De Rosa from the Vancouver Sun. Go ahead, Katie.
7: Hi Premier, also uh, regarding the memo, it makes mention of, you know, the tariffs in place on BC Hydro, uh, the, or that BC Hydro issues to its industry customers, and also on the back saying that tariffs could be used as a stick to bring proponents to the table. How does this speak to the electrification challenges BC Hydro has in basically just supplying the electricity needed and using tariffs as a stick, could that provide more of a detriment to companies electrifying as we want them to?
0: So I think the big challenge that we have is around meeting the massive demand from companies that already exist in British Columbia to decarbonize by using electricity and The second part of the challenge is the companies that want to locate in British Columbia, that want access to unbelievable amounts of clean electricity, unprecedented requests to generate hydrogen, to build and charge batteries, you name it. This is a huge and singular opportunity for British Columbia. It requires us to be in negotiation and discussion with companies. It requires us to deal with things like cryptocurrency producers that use a huge amount of electricity and don't produce any jobs. These are challenging discussions. It's important for us to look at the entire structure of BC Hydro. How do we deliver this electricity? How do we build new generation capacity? How do we meet the demands that are out there? And how do we negotiate with the companies that want to locate here to make sure that British Columbians who pay those hydro rates aren't paying for that expense? It's hard work, it's necessary, and we're going to keep doing it.
3: First, the good news, inflation is dropping. This is especially good news for low- to middle-income earners because inflation is essentially a pay cut. But inflation won't disappear overnight. Worse, inflation has coincided with anemic growth, partly related to high interest rates. High interest rates have helped to bring down inflation, but at the expense of growth. Economists describe this worst of all possible worlds as stagflation, although B.C. has not reached that stage and likely won't. But one thing is happening for sure next year, and that's an election. Both BC United and the Conservative Party of BC have already signaled that they plan to campaign on the issue of affordability, especially around the costs of essential goods like gas and food, along with housing. Both BC United and the Conservative Party of BC are offering British Columbians a fall in year. We'll trim back, if not entirely eliminate, measures to fight climate change in exchange for more affordability. New Democrats under Premier David Eby want to accelerate BC's transition toward a green economy in the face of climate change by investing in hydrogen, among other sources of clean energy. But this transition comes with high upfront costs to projects like the proposed hydrogen plant for Prince George. It will require more electricity with all the attached costs for this plant to operate. At the same time, British Columbians continue to struggle with affordability leaving government in a dilemma. It does not want to lose out on future opportunities like the Prince George plant that the premier discussed, but it does not want to impose additional costs on British Columbians now. It is possible that this massive plant with its immense electricity needs could go forward as proposed under the condition that the company behind the plant pays $1 billion, which could then be used to give British Columbians a break on their hydro rates before the election. Now, when news of this idea came out, BC United accused government of manipulating hydro rates and extorting private companies for political purposes. But as you he heard in Premier David Eby, appeared unfazed by the accusation. In fact, he accused BC United of standing in the way of helping British Columbians and opposing clean energy jobs in one of their writings. This Prince George plant that the Premier mentioned would be in a riding currently held by BC United. E.B. also pointed out that governments and private companies engage in these negotiations all the time behind the scenes, except that in this case, the minister immediately responsible, Josie Osborne, had dropped an email laying out this and other scenarios on the floor of the legislature, and it then found its way into the hands of BC United. The various criticisms from BC United, including concerns about the future availability of electricity in this province, are not without merit and deserve further scrutiny. But my inner cynic, you might say my inner Humphrey Bogart, back to the scene in Casablanca where Captain Renault expressed Chuck about gambling before collecting his own roulette winnings.
4: When the Today in BC legislature report continues, Wolfgang Deppner reports on COP28, the Conference on Climate Change.
6: The West Coast Traveler is an adventure in itself with content created by professional journalists and amazing photos provided by our readers. WestcoastTraveler.com is the newest travel network exploring all corners of Western Canada and the U.S. You'll see stunning photos and videos, read engaging travel features from around Western Canada and the U.S., experience all the West Coast has to offer. Begin planning your next adventure. Visit WestcoastTraveler.com.
4: I'm Peter McCulley. Welcome back to the Today in BC Legislature Report with Wolfgang Deppner. Wolfgang, George Heyman, the Environment Minister of British Columbia is traveling to the conference on climate change.
2: Yes, he is.
3: And he will speak for BC at COP28 in Dubai. The conference started Thursday, November 30th and runs until December 12th, although in the past COP conferences have gone beyond their finish time. COP stands for Conference of Parties to the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change. So a very long term, it brings together leaders from around the world to decide next steps in the global fight against climate change. Now, the first of these meetings happened in 1995 in Berlin, and COP21 led to the Paris Agreement on Climate Change. The agreement commits participating countries to limit the future increases In the world's temperature to 1.5 degrees Celsius and well below 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels by 2030. The Paris Agreement leaves it up to countries how they contribute toward reaching a goal, and it lacks any mechanism to punish laggards, assuming that they're still part of the agreement. If you recall, the United States under former President Donald Trump had left the agreement, but then the U.S. rejoined again under President Joe Biden. Important point, B.C. is what political scientists might call a subnational actor without a direct seat at the negotiating table. Only national governments and their respective representatives can reach an agreement. Often they don't, sometimes they do, but along the way they'll have to make lots of compromises to get everyone on board. B.C., along with other provinces from Canada, individual states from the United States like California and subnational actors from around the world, can shape these negotiations. BC will be in the background along with any number of other groups, not-for-profit organizations, private companies, environmental groups, oil and gas companies, trying to influence the negotiations that happen at these conferences. The big push at this year's conference is to phase out the use of fossil fuels, period. Previous conferences have found agreement to reduce emissions. This conference aims to come up with an agreement that will eventually lead to the end of the use of fossil fuels. Now, some areas, fossil fuels, still being used, and there will probably be some uh, mechanism to compensate their use. There's also talk about carbon capture, about investing more into that technology, renaturalizing the world to some degree. It means planting lots of trees. It means reflooding moors that we had previously drained. And it means using carbon capture technology to grab some of the CO2 out of the atmosphere and then pump it into the ground where it will then essentially turn into stone. These are some of the balls, so to speak, that are in the air at this conference. In the past, reaching an agreement has not always been possible. We've had COPS conferences. Because of any number of reasons, agreement was just not possible. So one of those conferences was back in 2009, when it was in Copenhagen. By all accounts, the Danes did did the terrible job of managing the entire conference. That conference happened against the backdrop of the Great Recession, which had started the year before. There was little interest to address climate change. Now, that has changed, but critics will point out that we're heading in the wrong direction. Craig will point out that emissions are not going down fast enough. In fact, uh, they are going up in some parts of the world. As I say, BC is not going to be the big player at this conference, but it's going to have an influence insofar as by shaping discussions. And in my interview with him, Heyman made this point. He said, look, we can help shape these negotiations. We can make it easier for our national government, that is Ottawa, to come forward with their own ideas, we signal our willingness to deal with climate change. To some degree, one should not discount the ability of these smaller actors to help shape the larger narrative.
7: I hope to both communicate British Columbia's commitment to reducing our emissions as well as our focus on wanting to expedite and attract investments in critical minerals, in clean energy and in clean technologies that will help not just BC, but the world reduce emissions. I always end up talking to people in the business community, not just in Canada or British Columbia, but in other places in the world who are aware of what we're doing and are interested in what we're doing. I first learned of Fortescue and their desire to explore hydrogen potential in British Columbia with a a lengthy conversation that happened in a previous COP. I've had meetings with the First Minister of Scotland at other COPs and other gatherings, and I know that in all these places, we know that if we work together, we can achieve more. Scotland, for instance, has been a market for bc hydrogen and clean energy technologies in their rail system california and british columbia have very aligned targets for reducing emissions and not just passenger transportation but medium and heavy duty transportation Mm -hmm. so we build our relationships and we build our commitments to continuing to work together by these meetings all of us try to influence and have impact with our national governments and our national negotiators, whether it's around commitments to emission reduction, whether it's about exploring investments in clean technologies, or ensuring that we structure change in a way that supports people, that deals with the everyday affordability challenges that people are facing, the desire of industry to reduce emissions, but not be disadvantaged, for instance, with regard to jurisdictions that aren't taking as aggressive action on climate as we are in Canada, British Columbia, or many of the subnationals. The other thing we do, because we participate in panels, not just meeting with each other, but we participate in public panels, we... we talk about what we're doing, and I believe that we create upward pressure to do more. I think it is easier for national governments to commit to action when they know that the subnational governments are uh, pushing hard and already making change.
3: I'm not going to be able to make any prediction about how this thing is going to turn out. I'm several thousand kilometers away. These conferences, there are massive events. COP28 has some... 44,000 attendees, government representatives, industry representatives, NGOs, journalists, the whole bit. There are all sorts of issues around holding a climate change conference hosted by a country that has very much relied on the exploration of fossil fuels for its wealth. Let's just say that the whole setup doesn't exactly scream sustainability. But it should be said that the conference has gotten off to a good start. Whether or not this conference will have a successful conclusion, again, hard to say. But environmentalists will argue that the time is short, that essentially we're running out of runway to deal with climate change in a way that avoids these tipping points. The argument is that there already is a lot of carbon in the air. It is going to impact the climate. The only question that we have is how bad is it going to get and what can we do to prevent the worst effects? including tipping points. So tipping point describes a situation where the system just essentially sets off reactions that then become uncontrollable. That just basically then just set up this whole array of cascade effects and then cause changes that none can
4: really foresee. Okay, Wolfgang, we'll look forward to your reports on what's been happening in Dubai with the Conference on Climate Change. What other legislation would have highlighted the fall session of the legislature?
3: Housing was not the only issue. It dominated uh, the fall session, but government also passed a number of other bills. One of those bills speeds up the introduction of zero emission vehicles. So we're back on the environmental front a little bit here. And another piece of legislation promises to protect scale and food delivery workers better. KLM food delivery workers, that's a very fancy term for gig workers. So these are workers who work for Uber or who deliver food for DoorDash, for example. All of this legislative work happened against the backdrop of ongoing issues, such as the opioid crisis, what some would call the crisis in healthcare, especially in rural areas, and of course, the climate change crisis. External events also intruded into the fall session. These external uh, events include the terror attack of Hamas on Israel and that country's response to those attacks. And while not a provincial issue per se, that global issue raised the political temperature inside and outside the legislature. Other external events of note of a BC angle include the ongoing fallout between Canada and India following the assassination of Hardeep Singh Nijar. Every session also comes with orchestrated attempts by the opposition to publicly discredit the government using the legislature, especially question period, as a forum for political theater. Government naturally has fought back with the NDP trying to paint BC United, the main opposition party, as a mere appendage to the conservative party of BC. BC United, largest opposition party, but the NDP has argued that BC United is essentially just following the lead of the conservative party which only has two members, on issues such as climate change. BC Greens, meanwhile, and to a certain degree, BC United, have focused their fire on a minister of children and family development, Mitzi Dean, in calling for her resignation several times over what many would consider serious mistakes in her ministry. Other evergreens raised by the opposition during the past session included the affordability And increasingly, toward the end of the session, the quality of democracy in B.C. The legislature now takes a break. We'll be back in February. That session will also turn out to be a fairly busy one. And it will unfold against the backdrop of the next provincial election in mid to late October. If the fall session was busy, I expect the spring session of next year to be even busier and potentially more controversial and more acrimonious.
4: Wolfgang Deppner is the legislative reporter for Black Press Media on the Today in BC Legislature Report. If you have suggestions or comments, send a voice message to podcast blackpress.ca. You may be part of our podcast mailbag segment. You'll find Today in BC Podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, iHeart, YouTube, and Google Podcasts. Why spend hours searching dealerships,
0: comparing makes and models? Find the best of BC's inventory in one place, todaysdrive.com. You'll have access to inventory across BC, where you can easily find a vehicle that fits your needs and gets you where you need to go in comfort. Get in the driver's seat. Don't miss out on the many options we have available for you. Powered by Black Press Media, todaysdrive.com connects you with exclusive new and used car deals.